to another episode of Everyday Theology. Uh, my name is Guy Parkerson, and I'm here with Pastor Ian. Hey. I'm good to be back. Pastor Ian. Well, you know, it makes me sound official. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so um, we were we had some issues last week. Ian's family wasn't feeling very well. Yep. So we decided to postpone that, and then this week was my fault because um, yeah. I took a little vacation. So look at, look at that tan mm, golden, right there, golden. golden brown. Yeah. Yeah. So we thought it would be great to go back into two weeks ago, which is Acts two. What were the one to thirteen? One to thirteen, and this yeah. is the infamous uh, speaking in tongues. It is. It yeah. is. So, one of the things I absolutely loved about this was how you were jumping back and forth from Genesis, Ezekiel, yeah. um, and then jumping back into Acts 2. And I liked your word, culminate. Yeah. It all culminates back to Acts 2. Well, there's this trend throughout Scripture that you see it, when, you, when you study. It's called biblical theology that traces themes from start to finish. In the Bible, uh, so the Bible itself has one big, overarching, grand narrative of redemption from the Garden of Eden, God's original purpose in creation, all the way to the end of Revelation. You know, the the last two chapters of Revelation mirror the first two of Genesis. There's a garden, and there's a tree, and all, so there's this culmination. Mm -hmm. God brings things full circle. But there's some of those smaller ones throughout, and this is one of them in Acts 2. It starts in Genesis 11, the, the end of that opening section of the Bible, Genesis 1 to 11, the foundation of, of Scripture. Everything you need to know from the Bible is in Genesis 1 to 11. Uh, it's, it's all there. And then it, it expands it and builds upon it from that point on. So you've got... These people who build the tower of Babel into the heavens uh, to make a name for ourselves. We belong up there with God, and God just obliterates that. He confuses their language uh, so they can't be united in their rebellion, and they're dispersed across the land. Well, God, God works, beginning in the very next chapter with Abraham, to bring that back around all the way leading to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the gift of speaking in tongues, where now... The language barrier that God himself created at Babel is now solved by Pentecost and speaking in tongues. And instead of being dispersed and divided among the nations, all can be united by his spirit, no matter their background. It's a wonderful culmination mm -hmm. to what God has done. Well, I, it, so one of the things that I took away from this was, I think it was a few years ago, the popular preacher, Andy Stanley. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I bet you probably know where I'm going to go with this. Sure, probably. He made a foolish statement where he said that um, when we're talking to unbelievers, it's best that we unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. Right. And I think that is a huge mistake. For example, this right here, it is such a fascinating there are so many visuals. I mean, just the, the Tower of Babel. And then yeah. you fast forward, what, how many thousands of years right. into mm -hmm. Acts 2. And the idea of all that coming back together, you've got the fall. And now all of a sudden you see God's plan mm -hmm. coming into play in the exact opposite way rather yeah. than confusing speech now yeah. he's pulling it back together yeah. and saying okay i want you all to understand now and if you remove the old testament if you unhitch it to use his phrase 
first of all, his motivation behind that, I think, was a noble motivation uh, to when you're engaging with unchurched people, you've got some things in the Old Testament that could make people turn their head at God, sure. you know, genocide, all kinds of stuff. And, and we uh, could talk about that because I... Yeah, thought, there's what, a lot there. One time my dad told me, he said, the Old Testament God is so different than right. the New Testament God. And I think that's a popular it is. notion. It, it's, a, it's a common thing among people who don't know their Bible very well. But I think what you see is how God acts with the Jews where he made himself very known. And there's oh, yeah. a price to pay for that. I mean, it, that's the way it seems to me, yeah. is that the okay. Jews had expectations that, um, thank goodness, we don't have to, I mean, we don't have to follow it in the, in the manner that they did. Right. Well, well, you know, when God issues a covenant with them, there are stipulations mm-hmm. attached to that covenant, just like there is with the New Testament. It's not this free-for-all, I love you, you can just do whatever you want. It was never that way. Right. God's always been this way. So, so Stanley's desire to disconnect from that, let's just focus on Jesus. I, I can sympathize with that motivation. Sure. It makes it a little bit easier to engage with a non-Christian crowd. The problem with that theologically is if you unhitch the Old Testament, you don't have a New Testament. No. It's, it's gone. You can't have it. It's, it's the foundation. So you don't have the concept of Messiah. You don't have the fall and the nature of sin, God's holiness. You don't have this foundation that everything builds on because the New Testament does nothing but reference back to the Old. John, it's everywhere. John, Peter, Luke, yeah. they didn't have the New Testament. They no. Were cre- they, that, that's the only thing they had to point back to. That when they say the scriptures say, yeah. they're always talking about the Old Testament. When Jesus says the scriptures say, he's always talking about the Old Testament. That was their scriptures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything that they needed was was there. And now it's built upon in the new, which is a huge gift for us. But they didn't have that. So we don't get to disconnect unhitch uh, from any of that, we have to wrestle with it. What does it say about God? What does that mean about all of that? And when you see those threads that God weaves there from start to finish, like the Tower of Babel to Pentecost, you see the, the greatness and the glory of that as God is moving through human history to sovereignly accomplish all of his purposes. And I had a lot of fun listening to it and learning. You know, it's it's so fun to just I don't see how anybody can find this stuff boring. I just don't. Well, I would, I would hope not, uh, because it is endlessly fascinating. Yes. So, let's see. What do I have here? Um, I think a great place to start, because I think this is probably what a lot of people, including myself, when they read this, they get stuck on the word tongues. Yeah. And your description of that was pretty darn interesting. Goss. Gl- gl- Glossia, Glossia. Is, is, is the Greek word for tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it's language. Like someone who speaks their native, native tongue, tongue or mother tongue. Right. We still use it that way in some sense today, but that's what the word means. And every single time it's used in the Bible, every time it refers to a human language. Always. So why do you think the... I'm assuming this... This came from the original King James. The, he, the, it, the translation was tongue? Yeah. So why didn't they use the translation language? It, it would have been far easier. 
you know, tongue is a dated word mm -hmm. for yeah. language, well, which would make sense. Which is exactly what you just said, our native tongue. We don't really speak like that anymore. I, I don't speak Shakespearean, Elizabethan English, neither do you, uh, which is one of the reasons we, we wouldn't go to the King James. It sounds cool and it sounds very poetic and I appreciate the KJV for mm -hmm. what it is, but we don't speak like that anymore. So it's a dated word. So it, it, it comes out as tongues and that's fine. We don't need to be scared of it because the problem is the, the word has been hijacked and abused and that gets dumped into the text of, well, now I don't understand what it means. When if you just go to the text and pull out what's happening, it, it makes sense. Cause when you do that here in Acts 2, it, it really makes sense. They're speaking in languages that they themselves do not know, but the crowd knows. So it'd be no different than if we go to Mexico tomorrow and we stand up, we want to share the gospel and God supernaturally would enable us to speak in Spanish. I can't speak fluent Spanish. I don't know if you can speak fluent Spanish, you. but that's what it would be. They speak fluent Spanish. It's so that they can hear the gospel and it transcends that barrier. Uh, so that's that's all that happened here, nothing more. Because this is a melting pot. There's, yes. There's not just Americans and Spanish here. Mm -hmm. We're talking a melting pot of... Well, 15 different yes, I... people groups mm -hmm. are mentioned in particular here. Uh, now, they all would have spoken Greek. So when Peter gets up and preaches his sermon, it, it's in Greek or Aramaic because He's, no, he's not speaking in tongues anymore. That's actually a fascinating point. Yeah, so because so, everybody is going to know Aramaic or Greek, yeah. who's there. The miracle is to show God is pouring out his spirit and to get their attention. And it wasn't necessarily needed in this moment. It was to let them know this is what's coming. The Holy Spirit is empowering all of this, and, and the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth precisely because of this gift. They've, they've been empowered from on high, which is exactly what Jesus promised would happen. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, Acts 1. They, they have this power now, and there's nothing that's gonna stop the gospel. Uh, so that's what initially captures the attention of thousands of people. We, we don't even know how many thousands were there. We know 3,000 responded which we'll look at here in a sermon coming up in a couple of weeks, 3,000 responded. There's more than that in the crowd. So this is a very large crowd attracted by this particular miracle. Yeah, one of the things, and this, this is what you and I do, you know, we sit and I, as you're talking, I'm thinking, which sure. probably gives me in trouble because I should listen more than I talk. <laughs> but I'm thinking, uh, you know, Jesus never even spoken tongues. It's, no. I mean, he, right. and it's, I think it's kind of neat that he, and he gives them the power to do something that he never even did. Right. Yeah. Cause he can't take the gospel to the nations. He's one person. That is fascinating. The 12 can't take the gospel to the nations. There's only 12. Right. The only way that can go down is, is like this. It's the only way it can possibly happen. And sadly, as time goes by and not very much time, 50 years goes by less than 50 years, and the Corinthian church is already abusing mm -hmm. this gift. They're already getting it wrong. So very quickly, um, this gift in particular, because it's so showy, it's so noticeable, people in their sinful nature use it to get attention for themselves. 
It's never, spiritual gifts are never for us. First Corinthians 12, they're for the common good. They're not for me, they're not for you. Yeah. They're for God to use us for the sake of everybody else. So it, instead of seeing it for what it is, it's an evangelistic gift to share the gospel. That's very, very, very clear from what happens at Pentecost. All of a sudden, they're, they're hijacking it, abusing it, misusing it for their own personal selfish gain. And, and here's one of the ways that we know that. When we get to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, yeah. that deals with spiritual gifts. Uh, and chapter 14 in particular that contrasts prophecy with speaking in tongues and why prophecy is better and all of that. We have to acknowledge a, a couple of things about what's happening there. The Corinthian church was getting tongues wrong. They weren't getting it right. So Paul is correcting them. Is that when Paul comes in and says, no, no you have to have an interpreter here. Yes. Is that where yes. that comes into play? Because, okay. so let's say, here's why a, a, an interpreter is necessary. Uh, let's say you have the gift of tongues and you can speak Spanish even though you don't know it. And you do that here at Broadway and nobody in the audience speaks Spanish. I can say whatever. Yeah, well, yes, you can say whatever, you, that's the problem with it. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. 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 But let's say it's legitimate and you say this incredible, wonderful, biblical, godly thing in Spanish and none of us know. What's well, the point? We don't get anything out of that. Right, what's the point? Therefore, there needs to be an interpreter who can stand up and say, let me tell you what God just said, so that you can all now benefit from this word he got from God. How helpful that would be. But in essence, that interpreter knows how to speak Spanish. Yes. Not some angelic language. No. So, or tongue. 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul says, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I'm nothing. So what the modern charismatic movement has done, which is what they were doing in Corinth, tongues became, I'm speaking a heavenly language. The language of the angels. So it became this, what's called ecstatic utterances, the, the, the blubbering and the, the babbling. Mm -hmm. um, and when, when, when Paul speaks of the tongues of men and angels, he's using hyperbole. He's not literally telling us there's an angelic language and some of you are empowered to speak it. That, he's not saying that at all. So they've taken this gift and they've redefined it by one small phrase that's mentioned one time in the Bible and it's only hyperbole anyway. Well, I'm just speaking a, a, a heavenly tongue. It's my private prayer language. No, it's not. That's, that's not a thing according to the Bible. Plus, on top of all of that, you've got even more. So <clears throat> in the field of hermeneutics, uh, hermeneutics is the, the field of biblical interpretation. How do you rightly interpret the Bible? Mm -hmm. There are laws about how to do that. One of them is called the law of the first mention. <laughs> that when something comes up the very first time, that becomes the framework through which we see it every other time. So that defines everything yes. from that point. So this is why when we talk about marriage, we go to Genesis 2. Because it's the first marriage. So when we talk about what happens as God oversees the marriage of Adam and Eve, from, from that point on, now we understand everything else in the Bible that's said about marriage through Genesis 2. Interesting. When we talk about the church and its purpose, we do that with Acts 2. 42 to 47, here's what the church initially did. Therefore, we understand it from this point on. This 
Pentecost is the first mention of speaking in tongues. And he clearly defines it by saying and he in clearly native defines it. language. And from that point on, we view 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 through the lens of Acts chapter 2. And all of a sudden, all these differences and debates, they just go away. Well, they should. Yes. They should. Well, so several years ago, um, at a, a different church, I was in my mid-20s, I think, I preached uh, three or four weeks on spiritual gifts through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And chapter 14's coming. You know, you can talk about spiritual gifts, but if people know chapter 14's coming and there's speaking in tongues and, and all that stuff, well, word got out that Ian's going to talk about this. Mm. And everybody knows I'm, I'm very conservative when it comes to the, the charismatic views of gifts and all of that. So Ian walks into the room that Sunday night for students, college students, from the Assemblies of God church that was right down the street. One of them, the pastor's daughter, who heard, I'm going to talk about speaking in tongues, and they want to hear what I have to say. So I preach the sermon, and I, I lay out Acts 2, you know, through, through this lens, all the stuff we've just talked about. Glossia just means language. Every single time it comes, it just means language. Paul's using hyperbole in 1 Corinthians 13. At the end of the service, when it's over, in the back of the room, these four come up to introduce themselves. And it turns into a grill session. My back is literally against the wall, and the four of them are surrounding me, peppering me with questions. And what, what clearly showed in that moment was they had no idea what the Bible taught. None whatsoever. But you stepped they're, on their toes. They're arguing their experience. I'm arguing scripture. And they don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Um, because they, they didn't like the sermon. It, it had talked negatively about their personal experiences. And if you want to upset someone, talk negatively about their personal experiences. Yeah. But I love you. I don't care about your personal experiences. They're not my authority. Right. The scriptures are my authority. Therefore, you can talk experience all day long. L let's talk scripture, and then the conversation matters. Th then we can meet somewhere because we... We're not going to agree on experiences, but we can agree in unity on the scriptures. We can do that. So it was a great conversation. I'm sure I didn't win them over or anything like that, and that wasn't the goal. It was simply to faithfully teach the scriptures. Um, but, but they're coming at me with, well, yeah, but I, nope. Right. Yeah, but God has said. Because you can come back with a, yeah, but I. Yeah. yeah. We can get caught in that cul-de-sac of my experience versus yours, we can do that all day long, mm -hmm. and we'll get absolutely nowhere. My experience, nor yours, are authoritative. The scriptures are authoritative, and what it says goes. So it could be that what's happening in the modern charismatic movement is glorified emotionalism, um, groupthink, whatever you, you want to label it, uh, but it's not biblical. That's what we know. Yeah. So we need to... We need to go back to the text uh, to help to help clarify for us. This is what this really is. Yeah, and it. Uh, so um, when I was a non-believer, my my uh, daughter Noelle, she went to a local church here, mm -hmm. and uh, it was um, Pentecostal church. Mm -hmm. And she asked if she could go, and I said, "Yeah, I, I think I'll go with you just to kind of see what it was." Yeah. And um, I had not been in a church in a while. And it, um, it's, it, for me, it was frightening. Um, and I, 
as an atheist sitting in the church, which I'm not now. Oh, sure. I'll clarify that. <clears throat> You're not currently an atheist no, sitting in no. the church. And um, I remember saying, if this is what heaven is like, I'm not interested. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the, the, the flailing around the, mm-hmm. and the dancing, I, the dancing is, a, is not probably a good term for it because, I mean, they were just running around and yeah. they were not speaking a language. Yeah. So here's something else that I considered yeah. at that moment is because I knew enough. All these people were chattering mm-hmm. and there was no interpreter. No one was standing there telling me, the non-believer, what they were saying. Right. And I, and I thought, well, how come they're holding to a certain authority of the scripture, but they're not yeah. coming, they're not following through with all of it. They'll quote some verses out of 1 Corinthians 14, but they aren't quoting others because it contradicts their experience. Hmm. And it gets in the way of, of what's happening in their experience. I, I've had similar experiences as well. In fact, one entire side of my family is Pentecostal and and charismatic in there, the, the flavor of the faith is, is on the charismatic side. I've been in those worship gatherings dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Um, their music is usually really good. Yes, I agree. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's very moving kind of stuff. Uh, preaching is typically on the weak side um, because it's all about emotional experience. So you, you, don't, you don't do spend 30 minutes anchored in the text if you're about emotional experience. Or go through a book in two years. You're probably not yeah. doing that. It's yeah. Again, it's all about how we can we can make you feel or even manipulate your emotions to make you feel good to want to come back, all that, which is the modern American church movement. Mm-hmm. Wanting to do that, I just want you to feel good to come back. I've been in those, and you know, there's some good things to take away from those experiences. A lot of people I know and, and love and respect, but when it comes to this issue in particular, it, it's just madness. I don't dislike uh, these people. No, not at all. I don't of understand. course not. I, I, these I these people understand. are brothers and sisters in Christ. They I love agree. the Lord Jesus. They've placed their trust in him. And, and they've landed on what I would say are some unbiblical conclusions about the spiritual gifts. And, and if you want to be a, a continuationist on the gifts, saying that the miraculous things have continued, and I'm a cessationist that believes they've ceased... That's fine. We're, you and I may differ in that. I don't that, know. I that's don't okay. Know. Right. We're, you know, we're brothers mm-hmm. in Christ. The, the kingdom of God is big enough for that. But when you when you draw a line in the sand and say, "Well, if you don't do this, you're not a believer," if you draw the line in the sand and say, "Speaking in tongues is the sign of the Holy Spirit being present in your life," now you've gone outside the bounds of Scripture, yeah. and you're making some dangerous judgment calls. And assumptions about people, and you can't do that. Um, th- that's not our place because nowhere does the Bible teach that tongues is the sign uh, of, of tongues. Tongues only comes up three times in the book of Acts. Three. That's it. It's not like it's everywhere. And there's movements and, based. And, I mean, just. Yeah. All, 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 yeah. They take this one thing and they blow it, blow up, it up. And every time it comes up, God is doing something exceptional and unique in that moment. Because they don't. They don't. It seems like it, they don't do it through the rest of the New Testament. It seems like there yep. is just a moment in time where it mm-hmm. happens. It is not the normative experience for believers. It is not. It is a unique experience uh, that only happens a rookies. few times. I know. Rookies. Yeah. <laughs> Podcast rookie. That's okay. It, it's a unique experience. It's rare. Yeah. Um, and it should be viewed that way today. You not. 
Not everybody gets the same spiritual gifts. We all get different ones. And if you get that one, cool. That's, mm. that's great. Let's figure out what language that is because that's who God is calling you to take the gospel to. Yeah. Uh, there's a people group somewhere that God wants you to take the gospel to them because he, he enabled you by his spirit to speak that language. Let's go, let's go find that out. You're, you're going to be a missionary because that's what it is in Acts chapter 2, period. Well, I, I, think, I think the best way to end this is you, you really did a lot of homework on this. It sounds like you've preached it before, so it may have been a little I, bit. Well, I haven't, I haven't preached just that text as the text for a sermon. I've obviously talked about mm-hmm. speaking in tongues and all of that from spiritual gifts, and I've referenced Acts 2 a lot, but I've never anchored this is my sermon text. So did you have any big, big aha moments, takeaways, anything like that you want to share? You know, I, I certainly appreciated all that happens. You know, when you, when you see Acts 2 as this culmination of everything that God has done since Genesis 11, you really feel the wow factor of what's happening in this moment. And again, the, and I mentioned this in the sermon, the, the 15 people groups that are listed, if you plot those on a map, Jerusalem's in the middle, and it's 360 degrees around. That purposely, God records that there are these 15 people. Now, there are more, but these 15 are listed. Why? To show that because of this gift, the gospel is going to reverberate all the way around the world from the center point of Jerusalem. Because all those guys are going home. They're all going to go home, um, and, and they're all going to take the gospel to where they're going, um, and how cool that is that God uses this to accomplish exactly what he promised would happen. 12 to 120 to where we are today. To billions yeah. today, um, simply because the Holy Spirit fell in Acts 2 as God had always promised he would and made this a reality. One word, amazing. Absolutely amazing. It is just phenomenal. I had so much fun listening to this and going back and, you know, trying to read with layman eyes and understand. But yeah, I had a lot of fun with this one. It, it's, it's such a good text. And, and, that's, and that's what we do, right? We just go to the text. We read through it. We wrestle with it. What's going on here? We do all that we can to not dump our stuff into it. We let the text speak mm-hmm. for what the text says. And that then becomes our foundation moving forward. Yep, I agree. Ian, thanks. That was fun. Yeah, always love it. Okay, see you tomorrow. Yeah, we'll see you at the next one. Sounds good. All right.